Stephen suggested I would say something about my wife's progress with her health. The news is very positive, very encouraging. I would need to get two large bricks and put them in her handbag or put them uh, uh, on her back to slow her down. Uh, she has never slowed down at any stage. I don't know how she does it. I would almost need a bicycle to keep up with her. But that's because you have been praying and many others, and we deeply, deeply appreciate that. It's four weeks uh, now on Tuesday since she had the sad mishap uh, to have a fall and to break her shoulder. We're grateful that the pain is subsiding uh, noticeably and considerably, and uh, she's now doing physio. It's still painful, it still hurts, and um, she has a, a lot of challenges, but uh, she's keeping house, and uh, you try sometime hanging out the washing with one arm. See how it works. Now, I, I give her, I give her um, advice that I was there to do all I possibly could to help her, so you can take what you uh, want to out of that. Uh, she proceeded, but I, I, I've got to try and get there before she does. But she's doing very well, and she's much encouraged uh, in the Lord. Last Friday, indeed Friday week ago, was her last major chemotherapy treatment. We thank God for that. Her last major chemotherapy, and she has got two more smaller ones in the next number of weeks, in the next six weeks. And uh, you can pray that as they taper off, that um, she will be wonderfully, wonderfully sustained by the power of God. For the very first time last Friday, she had nausea. Most of you are aware that with chemo, uh, you have nausea the whole way through, but she did not have nausea uh, throughout, and we're so grateful to God for that. Pray that this latter part will be a relatively straightforward and easy journey for her. Her strength never diminished, and uh, indeed, she continues to walk closely with God. Do pray for her particularly <clears throat> as we separate for a short while. Uh, I travel back to Kenya uh, in three weeks' time, uh, rather four weeks' time today, four weeks, I think, today, tomorrow, and I'll be there for three weeks. Uh, we're going out to check on the progress in relation to the Borehold Well uh, project. That's a major, major project. Please pray that everything will go smoothly and well, and that this very, very real need will be met uh, clearly in relation to our Garden of Hope School, where we have upwards of 200 children, and then the orphanage is within that, also with 40 children. And constantly, young people coming are coming from very broken backgrounds. Recently, a young lady came, uh, I think she was about 11 or 12, whose mother poisoned herself and her three children. Two of the children died, and the mother was gravely ill, and for some reason, this young lady, she, she also survived, and she has come to us uh, to be cared for, and probably she will be with us now during all her primary years. 
uh, that is up until 14 years of age when they move school to uh, a secondary educational level. So do pray I will have ministry regularly throughout. I am hoping that there will be some Bible conferences and also there'll be ministry every Sunday. Um, and we're trusting God for His power. I really miss Africa when I'm not there. Please uh, don't think I'm being facetious. Uh, Africa has grown to become a very, very vital part of our lives, even when we're not there. We're keeping in regular touch, and we regularly have hour-long plus calls to keep things moving smoothly and sweetly uh, while we're back at home. So we miss Africa. We miss the presence of God. We miss the ministry among God's people. We miss, may I say it, and it's something about which I want to speak this morning, we miss the hunger, the palpable and deep spiritual hunger amongst the people of God. The meetings are full of worship and full of prayer, and there's a great and serious interest in the ministry and in the teaching of the Word of God. But uh, pray for us as we travel. There's two others coming with us who have been before. Pray for Ronnie. Uh, He's only uh, 78. And pray for Violet. She's only 80. So I'm I'm the child, really, going out with these uh, very senior citizens. I I tease Violet that she's only 20 years from being 100. And uh, she doesn't really like that, but uh, she's got used to it. Thank you again for your prayers for Margaret, and thank you for your prayers for our lives and ministry, and particularly this service this morning. Now, we want to turn to the Word of God. I'm reading two passages of Scripture, both from the Old Testament. The first is from the book of Genesis, and chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, very powerful passage. It relates to a man who had a very dynamic meeting with God. His name was Jacob. I'm not going to speak about Jacob this morning, but I want to make reference to him. For that reason, I wish to read part of the passage. Chapter 32, verse 24. Reading, uh, please, only as far as verse 29. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter, dishonest man, 
It has got many mean meanings. What is thy name? And he confessed, I'm a twister, a deceiver. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, and that's the meaning of the word Israel, as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. He wrestled, and he prevailed, and he got what he was asking or looking for. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? I'm going to end there. He was not aware of the fact that he was wrestling with the Son of God, pre-incarnate. What a meeting. Then over, please, to First Chronicles and chapter 4. We're taking a brief walk through a graveyard just now. There's some readings in the Bible, and that's where you've got to go to conduct your reading and to expand your understanding. And we're about to do that just now. We're reading throughout what this book is entitled. It is a chronicle, a long, long genealogy of names. And for the most part, we're just told that so-and-so lived, and he begat, and he died. Ever so small, um, an an information... But when we come to verse number 9, God, for a very, very special reason, gave us more details. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Second Chronicles, sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and the verse number 9. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because... I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Jacob. Now you know the reason for my reading the previous chapter. He had in his mind the story that I've just read to you. The man who wrestled with God. And that's exactly what he is doing here. He had in mind the fact that not only did Jacob wrestle with God, he had a need. God met it. And he too had a need. And he was seeking God about it. Very desperately, very earnestly. And he had in mind the fact that Jacob prevailed. (coughs) In other words, he got an answer from heaven, the like of which he could never have imagined. And he's praying in that direction. And did he succeed? Well, let's read on. Jabez called on the God of Jacob or Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest, in, thou wouldest bless me indeed. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. And enlarge my coast. And that thine hand might be with me. 
and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him, God granted him, and that's why we're reading, that's why indeed this passage is recorded, because God granted him that which he requested. What an amazing passage. I say that we were walking amongst the tombstones, and we had come upon one of the most remarkable in that great um, section of chronicles or genealogies. Now we're going to pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the service up until now. It has been very powerful, very inspirational. We have felt your presence, and we have felt that hovering that our dear brother Stephen spoke about. God is here, and that to bless us with the Spirit's quickening power. See the cloud already bending, waits to drop that grateful shower. Now, Lord, we ask you if there's anything in this house today that is threatening that from happening, deal with it now. If there is any evil spirit or any impedance, any challenge, any demonic hindrance, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood of the Lamb, we take issue, we challenge, and we overthrow the powers of darkness. I ask, Lord, that your hand would be heavily upon us this morning. Prepare the hearts of the people to receive the Word of God and prepare my heart to give it. At best, at best, Lord, I'm just a weak vessel. I'm just a regular type of man who has come here on your behalf to speak and to share your word. Lord, touch me again with a live coal from off heaven's fiery and burning altar. I yield myself to you utterly and entirely, my mind, my body, and my spirit, and I pray that you would make me your channel and vehicle of messaging and ministry to the people of God and to, indeed, everybody. I pray that nobody will be untouched in this meeting this morning. We're trusting you, Lord, to undertake for us and to be gracious unto us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. My theme this morning is spiritual breakthrough. And there are some in this meeting that need exactly that in order to move forward. In fact, if you don't get that, you're going to go back to where you once were. When I look at a congregation like this, I often wonder how many in this congregation are going to succeed in the Christian life. How many are going to make it, not just to the gates, but inside the gates of glory, where they will enter shouting, washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know 
very much it depends upon you. Some of us actually depend on God too much. If that could be conceivably possible. God will not do for you what you must do for yourself. God will not make your decisions, not your critical decisions or any decisions. You are not a zombie. You are not made that way. You are not a robot. You are not a puppet to be manipulated by the pulling of strings. You're a free will human agent. And you must make decisions. And you are the product of the decisions, particularly the spiritual decisions that you make. Either going forward, or going back, or standing still. How is it with you? How is it with you? There are some in the service this morning, and you are not the person you used to be. And you're not in the place with God where you used to be. You do not have the prayer power, the fire power that you used to have. There are some in the service this morning who were once red hot, out and out, on fire for God, but today you're lukewarm. Be honest and like Jacob, Admit it. Like Jabez, come out with it. Let God sort it out. Let God bring you into the realm of spiritual breakthrough. And then you will become a power to be reckoned with. It may be that God wants to make you, of all people, the instrument of revival and spiritual awakening, but not as you are. It may be in the process of your taking these strategic, these dynamic steps, it may be in the process of that that the awakening will be sparked, that the fire will be ignited, and that it will spread, and that great things will happen. I have sought the face of God all week about this message. And there was not one but several other lines I was contemplating. But God shut me in. God shut me in. And I give to you what has been laid upon my heart. My text, as already emphasized, is Jabez called on the God of Jacob. In other words, he prayed. And it was no ordinary prayer. A lot of prayers are too ordinary, too tame, too mealy-mouthed. too inoffensive to the devil. Jabez prayed and he held on and he wrestled with God until 
he got through. That is how a man or a woman of God is made. And you don't need to be middle-aged or elderly for that to happen. You can be a youth. I believe God has got very special purposes for the youths of this generation. Young men and women, I address you. I encourage you to get very, very close to this man of whom I'm speaking. And let the flame of fire that lighted him also light you. I trust you're a reader, and I trust that you're not one of those who does most of your reading from the internet. Not good. Not good for your eyes. And I believe not sufficiently impacting for your mind either or your spirit. Get biographies and read them. I was greatly impacted recently by reading the story again of John Wesley. Deeply, deeply impacted. And I've read many books recently. I'm currently reading the life of a great man of God called Cavasso. What a man from Cornwall. What a mighty man of prayer and soul-winning interests and ministry. Read biographies and let those who have lived 40, 50, 60, maybe 90 years, let the fire and the heat of their lives and walk with God get into you. Please, please. This is a biography that we are and have just read. It's a, what we call a thumbnail sketch. It's a, a brief biography, but in the compass of so few verses, it's amazing. It's amazing what is included there. I'm going to ask you to turn back to the previous chapter just to mention something in case I forget or in case my time uh, will, will, will push me out. The last verse, uh, it's two chapters back, the last verse of chapter 2, and the families of the scribes which dwelt at Jabez. And there's some interesting names here which you might find odd. They're not names that you will be calling uh, your, your farm or your, your motor car or tractor or your children after. The names are these, the Terathites, the Shimeathites, and the Sukkothites. These are the Kenites that came of Hamath, the father of the house of Rechab. Those were the very strong um, peoples who had a great opposition towards alcohol. Uh, the house of Rechab. And God honored them and preserved their lives uh, because of that, uh, clearly. But uh, we read here in this chapter about the city of Jabez. There was a city called after Jabez. In fact, Jabez founded the city that bears his name. Let me just remind you what the great Adam Clark said in regard to this amazing character. 
Adam Clark said of Jabez, Jabez was a man of weight. That's not referring to physical weight. It's referring to, indeed, uh, his reputation. A man of weight who was a famous doctor of the law and had numerous disciples. He founded a city which was called by his name and also a theological college of which he was the principal or the president. And these were some of the portions of his curriculum. The Shimeathites, the Terathites, and the Sukathites. You say, what in all the world is that about? Well, let me tell you. And if you want to do your own research, you can do so and find out far more than I have, clearly. I speak of this not to indicate to you that I've been doing a little bit of uh, broader reading. I want you to simply to know what this man accomplished. And then I'm going to tell you how he got there. How he got there. The um, group of people, and I, I'm suggesting taking up what Adam Clark said, at this theological school, uh, there was a lot of theological doctrine, a lot of Bible doctrine, spiritual teaching that went on, and amongst them, there were these um, various uh, teachings that <coughs> were shared in that institution. In the curriculum, there was the Terathites. And the Terathites is a word for worshippers. There was a class that was teaching people how to worship God. How to sing spiritual songs. How to love God. How to fall down at his feet. And to gaze and gaze and gaze upon the great and the awesome Elohim, Jehovah, in the heavens. Now, there are very, very few schools or theological colleges that do that. They may have a singing class. They may have a choir. They may teach a choir and get the choir to travel around and sing in order to raise funds, things like that. But I tell you, this was special. There was a class of worshippers. And I believe worship, as Dr. A.W. Tozer said, is the missing jewel of the church. And the amazing Leonard Ravenhill, whose books I have devoured over the years and still do, and whose sermons are still around, he said, the older I get, the more I realize that I do not worship God enough. I do not spend enough time at the feet of Jesus just worshipping and praising him and adoring him. And when he prayed, he lay on his face in his Texas home. And many came to see him to be heated and fired up by the touch of God that was on his life. Then there was the Shimeathites. Now who in all the world were they? This was another vein of the curriculum. The Shimeathites were the intercessors. This school, this college, taught the people how to pray, how to wrestle with God, how to engage in spiritual warfare, 
How to prevail with God and get answers and overcome the devil and his demons. Now, there's not much of that being taught in theological, theological college, colleges. You know, in theological colleges today, all people are interested in is getting a degree or a diploma and getting out of the place. They say, I wish I wasn't here, but really, I've come here to get a degree, and that's, that's what I need to do. And a lot of them are misbehaving, actually. A lot of theological students, they're not living right. They're not living clean lives. And they're not really interested in soul winning or birthing churches or, or building the kingdom of God. They want a degree. doesn't matter where it takes them. Except they don't want to be taken into the Lord's work. But I say that in the school or the college of Jabez, there were intercessors who were trained and taught. Wasn't that amazing, really? And then there was the Sukkothites. Who were the Sukkothites? They were the expositors, the preachers. Colleges need to train preachers. Although the preaching gift is a natural gift, it's God-given. When God calls a man to preach, he gives him the gift of preaching. When God calls a man to teach or to prophesy, he gives them, and by the way, the word prophesy means both. It means forth-telling as well as foretelling, like the prophets in the Old Testament. And there's a great need for prophets in the church today to inform us and to prepare us for what is coming, for what is just up ahead. I mean, just around the corner. There are things that are about to happen in your lifetime. And in my lifetime, and I'm further on than some of you here, that's going to happen in the near future. We need to know about them and be prepared. But I am saying we need expositors, expounders of the Word of God, expounders of the mind of God, principles by which we can live and die. Principles that will make us fit to be martyrs and to fight the good fight. Not thinking about winning a crown, but thinking about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jabez was associated with this. That's why I'm talking about him. And I brought it right in, right in at the beginning. I want to talk about his prayer, but before I get there, I need to say a few more things. In this chapter 2, chapter 4, rather, of the genealogies of the deceased families. This is going back actually probably the greater part, <coughs> the greater part of uh, two and a half, three thousand years. And uh, in these genealogies, it represents hundreds and hundreds of years of living and dying, actually. But the Holy Ghost wants, wants to get our attention. In the middle of all this, these names, and you would, rep you would recognize some of them, a little bit tedious too, but um, they're deserving of being read, and then you can check out who they were. Some of them will spring out at you. But coming to Jabez, the Holy Ghost said, there's a lot of names just now that I have recorded and that you have heard, and I know I'm boring you a little bit, but hold on. There's somebody here. I want you to know about, and more than that, I want you to emulate 
I want you to copy him. I want you to be impacted by him. Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Notice this, my dear people of God this morning. The first thing that the Holy Ghost mentions about Jabez has to do with his character. He didn't say he was a great preacher. He didn't say that he was a great educationalist or very learned. It didn't say that he was very vigorous physically and uh, academically. He didn't say he was well-known, well-liked, famous, any of those things. He put his finger on his character. And I want to say to you today, dear brothers and sisters, that is the most important thing about your life. It's not about what you believe. It's about how you behave. Now, how do you behave? How do you behave? I'm looking around and I see one or two with their eyes closed. Does that mean you are praying? Does that mean you're sleeping? Does that mean you're concentrating? I need your attention. I didn't travel 30 miles or so this morning to preach to a sleeping congregation. And this is not a sleeping congregation, I know. I repeat what I've said. God is more concerned. I'm not saying he's not concerned about what you believe. That's very, very important. But he's more concerned about how you behave. And <clears throat> what you believe actually affects how you behave, how you live your life. More honorable. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> was able to look around at an awful lot of people. And he said, you see that man there? That man's different from all the others. You see that man there? I have confidence in that man. I trust that man. I know that man. That is my man. That's a godly man. My mark is on his life. I know the journey he made. I know how he got to where he is. More honorable. You know, when... We pass away home to glory, and I trust it's to glory. If you're here and not saved, it's time you considered the journey that you're on and where it's going to end. If you're not truly, genuinely born again, I trust you will repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ today. But if you love the Lord, when you come to the end of your life, people They'll say an awful lot of nice things about you. And they'll even bring a lot of flowers and send a lot of cards to your family. And all of that's okay. That's very much in order, very kind and generous. But you know, dear people, the big thing that really nobody, nobody can convey adequately is your character, how you lived your life. But I'll say this, when they examine your life as they do, your unconverted neighbors, your unconverted family members, even your enemies, 
they know how you're living or how you're not living. They know. They don't need to wait until you die and then go to your funeral and hear a minister or a preacher say nice things. No. They know. They know. They know the character that you wear, how genuine you wear. You know how deeply committed to God you were, or whether it was just a kind of a form of profession, of religion, shallow, superficial, but not genuine. So, that's worth noting. The name Jabez, I've discovered, has got two meanings, not one. The one that's well known is mentioned here. It is um, sorrow. Imagine calling your son sorrow or pain. I imagine a lot of people poked fun at his expense. Hello, pain. How are you today? Are you going to school today, pain? Come and play with us on the playground, pain. Or Mr. Sorrow. I'm sure he got a lot of name-calling. And names, they say, sticks and stones can break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Names hurt you. Bad names are painful baggage. And if Jabez was here, he would say, to my cost, I can agree and tell you that is the case. I'll elaborate upon that in a moment. But the other meaning of the name is height. Jabez means height. And I would like to change that to stature. This man was tall of spiritual and moral stature. What about your spiritual and moral stature? Do you stand out amongst the people as a good man? as a praying man, as a generous man? Or do some people call you Scrooge? Do you hold so tightly to your money that the queen squeals? Are you a kind person? Is that part of your stature? Are you spiritual and godly? Are you like Jesus? What stature? What stature do you have? Stand up, stand out. Be like this man, Jabez. And about the term sorrow or pain, his mother called his name Jabez because she said, I bear him with sorrow. I've looked into this. I cannot tell you the real reason behind it. But I ask... <clears throat> Was she raped? Was this child the product of a, a violent sex offense? We don't know. Was her husband bad to her? Did he walk out of the marriage union before the baby came, leaving her alone to fend for herself? That's a very mean, low-down, wicked thing. And too often it happens. 
and no greater violation than that of rape of which I've been speaking. Psychologically, mentally, physically, very damaging. But the Lord can heal. The Lord can heal the spirit, the soul, the brokenness of that in a life. And if you're still struggling and you've been in a situation like that, you need to seek God for healing. There's healing in the atonement for psychological damage. <clears throat> Did her husband die? Die of disease or an accident before the child was born? Leaving her alone? One can speculate about many things. Did she have a difficult pregnancy? Did she have a very, very distressing uh, childbirth? Was she on the verge of dying? And by, this, by, by, by the narrowest of margin, did she just make it through? Lost a lot of blood and a lot of pain? And she cursed the child. Not her circumstances or the people that were involved. She cursed the child. Probably without knowing it. Well, she must have known it because she called him by that name sorrowful or pain. Jabez. And he carried that as a weight around his neck. I say to you, be careful what you say to your children. Never, never tell, never you tell your children they're no good or they're plain stupid. Never tell your children that they're unattractive. Never tell your children that they're mealy-mouthed and that they're not fit uh, uh, for any good thing. Those things stick and stab and they will wound and psychologically, psychologically damage your child all their lives. And there's many here, dozens here, if I had opened the meeting for testimony, could say, yes, I know about that. I was such a victim. You always inspire and encourage your children by saying good things, even though they may not always deserve it. Say good things. Say the best things. There's power in words. There's curses and blessings in words. Do not be putting curses on your children because they'll come back to haunt you. You will be affected. And your family and your, the generation that follows you. And so there was a stigma in this man's life. And he had strivings after God, and he wanted to deal with this thing, and he wanted God to deal with it and to deliver him. <clears throat> it's a very remarkable biography, even though it's brief. The story of every man or woman of God is a very remarkable story, and as I've already said, I love to read them. And I love to ask God to help me to emulate that individual. But encapsulated in this very remarkable biography, there's a very remarkable prayer. I want to say to you today, in Jesus' name, your prayer life defines you. Your prayer life defines you. You may have a lot of good things. You may have a lot of interesting gifts that are a blessing, but it's your prayer life 
that will define you. A shallow, superficial prayer life will also, I feel, I, I must say, it will define you as a failure, a failure. But you get in touch with God, you let you get a hold on God and let God get a hold on you, I tell you, your name will be known. And it's not for that reason that we seek such a definition or such a grip from on high to be upon our lives. No, no, this is a praying man. And prayer was not a late or an afterthought, I put it to you, I put it to you, that prayer was first, and prayer was last, and prayer was everything in between. This is a, a weighty, a weighty warrior. This is a weighty intercessor. This man means business with God, and he means business with the world, and you need to be that serious to get anywhere or to do anything. I'm coming back to that. This remarkable biography, which encapsulates a very remarkable prayer, also uh, records, opens up to us, a very remarkable breakthrough. He made a quantum leap. Hey. A quantum leap. He took a big step, a big leap forward in this encounter with God. My dear friends, the mountain peaks of life's experience, experiences are those times when we meet with God. And there's not just one. There's not just that wonderful day as it was in the life of Jacob when he met God at Bethel and he saw the ladder or the the stairs, the staircase with angels going up and down. Jesus at the top, and he was lying at the bottom, looking up into heaven, looking up into the very face of God. That was a wonderful day. That was Jacob's conversion. And the story we read today from Genesis 32 was a second mountain peak. When he met with God a second time, and God dealt with his nature, God dealt with his old, twisted, deceptive nature, go-getting, grabbing, and stealing if need be. There's many professing Christians who lies, use bad language, smoke and drink on the sly. Do you think God doesn't know about it? He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. Nothing, nothing hidden. But I'm saying you'd better deal with those things that are not right, that haven't been put in you there by Jesus, but things that are put in by the old uh, sinful nature and by the carnal mind and by the devil. You'd get it, better get them out and get them to the cross and on the cross and nailed until they are dead and gone. And that was the second mountaintop. And in Jacob's life, there were many others, many others. I say there's mountain peaks in our lives. Remember the disciples, the day they met Jesus. Think of the fishermen 
on the Sea of Galilee. That was a high point in their lives. Forever in the day, they remember that day that Jesus called their name. That marked the day when their spiritual journey on earth began. And remember the day they were in the up, when they were in the upper room praying. They'd been praying for, uh, t- t- for, for many days. They prayed and prayed until the fire of God came, until there was a sound of a rushing of a mighty wind. And some people had left just a few hours before it, and they missed it. They missed it. Never leave the prayer meeting before the time. Never leave the church before the time. That's what an old preacher told Evan Roberts. Never, never, never miss a prayer meeting. That could be the very night, the night that you miss the prayer meeting. That could be the night when the fire of God comes down, he said. And all those who waited, 120 of them, there were 500 or thereabouts at the beginning. That was a a red-letter night, I tell you. There's always mountain peaks. And I tell you, Jabez had his share of them. A remarkable breakthrough. He got a hold on God and he held on. He held on. He says, I'm going to die rather than give in. God loves that kind of prayer. God loves desperation in our prayer. How serious are you? And then we've talked about it already, the remarkable life. The remarkable life. of achievement. How many lives did he touch? A hundred? A thousand? Ten thousand? Fifty thousand? I say this man was known and revered to this day, to this day. This was a big, a big name. This was an outstanding man. This, I repeat, was God's man. I want to call upon individuals here today to be God's man, God's woman. To stand up for God, not just for a month or a year, but until Jesus comes or until he calls. What I see in Jabez's life, and I highlight this, and I'm really wondering how many people can identify with him? <clears throat> Listen carefully now. What I see and feel and sense about Jabez was there was a dissatisfaction. My dear brother prayed in his opening prayer about a hunger, a hunger, a hunger for God. You know how you are working hard and you haven't eaten for a long time and your stomach begins to rumble. You feel powerful appetite coming up, an appetite for food. And you feel yourself getting weak because of the want of eating something, actually. I'm talking about a hunger like that. You're weak and you need God to step into the equation, a hunger, a dissatisfaction. He was not satisfied with the status quo. I want to say this to you, dear people, and make careful note of it. The children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness, 
and they were there so long, they quite liked it. It was quite easy going out every morning and filling their bucket with manna, excepting on the Sabbath day, which was a Saturday, they had to get a double supply on Friday. It was quite amusing and interesting and exciting to see quails falling out of the sky. Quite amazing. It was amazing to have a suit of clothes that lasted for years and years, decades, that lasted for 40 years, shoes that didn't wear out. Imagine. Whoever saw the like of that, a suit of clothes that never wore out, never worked until it was threadbare. And to see the cloud, the pillar of fire, protecting them, and the pillar of cloud guiding them, and to, to see all these amazing supernatural things that were in the wilderness, and for the most part they were squabbling, falling out, disagreeing, fighting. They were jealous of each other. And there was a lot of, a lot of very negative and nasty things that happened, clearly. It was a, a very clear picture of the negative and the carnal state of mind. And I want to say to you today, dear people, that there's a lot of people living like that and they're satisfied. They're, they're okay with it. They're okay with it. They don't want it to change. They're defeated rather than being overcomers. They're weak when they should be strong. They're indolent. They're unengaged in the work of God when they ought to be fighting the good fight and doing and delivering for God. I say to you today, you must not be satisfied with the wilderness. It's time to get out of the wilderness. Sometime I'll preach a message on that to you. Get out of the wilderness. Get over Jordan. Get into the land of victory. Be an overcomer. Be somebody for God. Be a Jabez. Jabez was an overcomer. For sure he was. But he was, it began with dissatisfaction. I'm not happy with where I'm at. I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with my prayer life. I'm not happy with failing and falling. It's not God's will for you to be sinning in word, thought, and deed every day. And I know that many of the great covenanters, many of the great reformed preachers, that was their level, at least in their theology. They were more holy down here than up here. More holy in heart. Godly men whose writings I've relished, like Robert Murray McShane and David Brainerd and Jonathan Edwards, and a host of others. Not God's will, I repeat, that you should be sinning, backsliding, repenting, falling, <clears throat> getting into the world, and then pulling, getting somebody to pull you out, up and down, up and down, like the grand old Duke of York. I am saying that is not good. Here is a man, he's dissatisfied with where he's at. And he's praying, oh God, show me what to do. Oh God, lead me, lead me out of this wilderness. Oh God, this, this baggage, this stigma that's attached itself to me. I don't want to be a pain and I don't want to be uh, this kind of person all my life. I don't want to be filled with sorrow. I'm depressed, I'm broken. Do something new for me. 
So he's on the path to breakthrough. Are you on the path? Get on the path to spiritual breakthrough today. The doctrine of spiritual dissatisfaction. He said, I didn't know there was a doctrine, but we've just made it up this morning. It's big enough to distress the church to the extent that it does to be a doctrine, a principle that we need to emphasize and we need to get the people of God out of there and over here onto the victory side. So just in closing, I'm saying that just to outline the life of Jabez and particularly the prayer that he prayed, that's what principally I should have been speaking about it from the beginning, but I did feel I needed to give you that background. Jabez, he had a hunger. He had a hunger for a new meeting with God. He had a hunger for holiness of heart and life. Heart and life. And if it's not in the heart, it'll not be in the life. As I mentioned earlier, belief must affect our behavior It's our behavior that actually quantifies our character. And a Christian should have a good, a godly character, like Jesus. We should all be like Jesus. We are destined, predestined, predestinated to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of a son. And if there was more Christians living like that around Dungannon and around Banbridge and Belfast, you know we'd need a few, uh, a few less missions or a few less series of Christians meetings. If there were more people living like Jesus, like, it is, like has happened in the past, some would be saying, who is that person? Who is, what is there, what is there about that person that, that I don't have? I would like to know and get the secret from that person What makes them so full of the love of God, so full of the grace of God and the blessings of God? I want to get like them, a hunger for spiritual power. Just briefly, and then in closing, and I know I'm over my time, but here it is, the prayer. There's five parts to it, five parts to it. And I could easily speak 20 minutes, a half an hour in each one of them, and I'll not do that, I know that. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh! Oh! You try that word sometime when you're in a quiet place and when you utter that word, Oh! It comes from the bottom of your abdomen. It comes from the bottom of your stomach. It comes from the bottom of your heart. That is why the Hebrews called their heart their bowels. Coming from the bottom of your heart, Oh, it's with all of your heart you pray. They said that God sent revival to Wales when they put the oh back into their praying. Oh, God, hear my cry. Oh, God, meet with me. Oh, God, change me. Oh, God, help me. Take me into a new place. Oh, God, I want a spiritual breakthrough. And I'm going to hold on. And I'm going to pray and pray and pray until it happens. Oh, God, you hear? 
the voice, the echo of the voice of Jabez there? I think you do. Bless me. Bless me. And that is dear old Jacob. I will not let thee go except and until you bless me. That is what was in the heart of Jabez. He was praying the prayer of of Jacob. I will not let you go, Lord. He's saying in his own prayer, until you do something for me. Are you that in earnest with God, are you? Oh, please tell me that you are. Please tell me there's one or two, three or four, or half a dozen here who's got a hold on God and you're holding on and the tears are flowing and your heart is, your heart is paining you. You wonder how long you can continue. You wonder if you're going to die in the process of this. Wouldn't it be better to die than not to go forward with God? I plead, I plead. I've come here with a pleading in my heart today. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. I just mentioned again at the beginning of this service when I stood before you that I'm going back to Africa soon. It was this prayer, and it was the next part of this prayer that took me from my church in Banbridge, which I had just built. I'd been there for 18 years, and I'd been ministering in that church for less than 10 years from the building of it until God laid a hold on me and said, Gilbert, it's time to move on. I've taken you to Africa and I've shown you what is happening there and Africa needs you and I'm sending you there in the midst of that revival or spiritual awakening to mentor and to motivate, to encourage and inspire and to teach my people. Did I wrestle Did I say, Lord, I need to think about this? It happened, actually, when I was preaching. And through my own sermon, God said, I'm talking to you through what you are preaching to the people. It's not for them, it's for you. The Holy Ghost said, separate unto me. Gilbert and Margaret, for the work whereunto I've called them, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereon do I call them. And for months I could show you a prayer diary, and every day, day after day after day after day, week after week, month after week, I'm praying, Lord, enlarge my coast. Enlarge my coast. I challenge you to pray. Oh, God, bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. 
I challenge you to pray those two petitions every day for a month. And twice a day, if possible. And see what God will do with you. The trouble is, some of, us doesn't do, some of us do not want God to do anything with us. We're comfortable where we are. We're afraid if we yield everything to God, He'll take us out of our new home, not long built, or away from our nice situation, our nice job, with quite a comfortable, a comfortable income, financially secure. You're afraid to pray that prayer. I challenge you in Jesus' name. I challenge you. And if this is just for one person, it was worth my coming here today. Enlarge my coast or my territory. My vision, too small. My ministry, too small. Jabez is praying for an enlarged ministry. And whatever you are doing today, whatever all of us are doing today, we can do more. We, are, we can do more. There's not one of us here today doing enough. And it's the 11th hour. Jesus is coming. Very, very, very soon. Jesus is coming. And what have you got to show him? What have you done with your talents? Your, your two talents or your one talent or your ten ta talents? What have you done with it? Are you, are you proud? Are you comfortable? I'm not sure that one of us can raise our hand honestly and say, I've done enough. And there's millions going to hell. Millions going to hell. We're rubbing shoulders with people every day who are going to hell and we've never spoken once to them about their soul. Brothers and sisters, does God have your attention just now? Does God have your attention? And notice the third request he made to God. It's integral. He prayed in his prayer that thine hand might be with me. Do you know what that is about? That, that's an inference toward the power of God. That is speaking about the power of God that is available to every believer. That thine hand might be with me. That equates to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the anointing of God and the empowerment of God. What the disciples got on the day of Pentecost, what D.L. Moody got in that wee house down a lane or down a street in Chicago that empowered him to preach sermons that he'd preached before. And when he saw little happen, he saw a harvest coming in. That's what W.P. Nicholson got the day that he knelt on the street at the clock down on the edge of the sea at Bangor with the two wee Salvation Army lassies and daft Jimmy to boot. They said, uh, W.P., you, 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 you get down on your knees and pray. He said, I've never done that in my life before. Could, 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 could I? No, I didn't want to be here. 
we're waiting on you, WP. You, you, you pray. And he said as soon as he prayed, he began to pray. Something broke. Something gave way. God came upon him. God came into his life. And he said the secret of all that he accomplished as an evangelist can be traced to that day when the power of God took a hold of him and filled him and controlled him. You need the anointing of God on your life. And then the next request is there. Oh, that thou mightest, that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldst keep me from evil. He's praying and saying, Lord, I want a holy life. I want a holy heart. I want to live before you in such a manner as will please, glorify, and honor you. Yes, yes, I want to be a holy man of God. I say that being a holy man or a holy woman of God, it is central, it is key to being a man or a woman of prayer. It's key to being a man and a woman who has a testimony. It's key to God enlarging your coast. It's a key to God using you. The Holy Spirit will not come on top of or onto an unclean vessel. The temple must be holy and purified from sin. And I want to say to you, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus can make your heart clean. You haven't... You haven't need to wrestle and, and fight and kick and, 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 and curse the, the evil that's within you. You come to the cross. You come to the fountain filled with all cleansing blood. Let the blood of Jesus flow. Let the blood of Jesus touch you. Remember Isaiah in the temple with that live coal touching his lips. And all his sinfulness, all his defeat and compromise departed in a moment. <clears throat> it's all there, my friends. And the last thought, he said, that it may not grieve me. He was praying for a conscience that was clean, a conscience that was quiet. A conscience that did not condemn. He was praying for an easy or a sweet conscience. You can live your life with a sweet conscience that does not condemn you. You know how it is when the devil gets the advantage, when the world gets a handle on you and you're defeated and you're going about for days and weeks in a daze. I have been defeated. Am I a Christian or not? I failed the Lord again and again and again. The devil's rubbed his dirty boots on me another time. I've lost count. He said that it may not grieve me. He's talking about his conscience. Remember Paul said, I have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. Have you a conscience that's easy to live with like that? It's in the chapter. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldest keep me from evil or sin that it may not grieve me. And God granted him 
God granted him that which he requested. I want to say to you, God is waiting to grant to you your request. He's waiting to grant to you your request. It is done. It is done. The great transaction is done. Spiritual breakthrough. Let's stand for prayer. Gracious Father, <clears throat> gracious and awesome Jehovah, great Elohim, glorious El Shaddai, our wonderful Lord and our blessed Savior, we give you thanks. We're at the foot of the cross. We're in your dear divine presence. And we humbly ask you to have your way, Lord. Please have your way. Have your way with me and with my dear brother Stephen. Have your way with each member of the board and eldership of this church. Have your way with each Sunday school teacher and with, Lord, every office bearer. And there are preachers, men of God with a ministry gift in this house today. I pray that you would have your way with all of us and each of us and with the entire congregation and with the youth, the young parents and the older parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. I pray for the entire congregation. O oh God, bless your word to each of us. I pray that you would stir us, Lord. I pray that you would take a hold on us. If you don't take a hold on us, and show us the way, we'll never find our way. Oh God, please take a hold on us, Lord, and take us to where you took Jacob at Peniel long time ago. Take a hold on us the way you took a hold on Jabez, Lord, and do for us what you did for him. Oh God, my Father, I pray for spiritual breakthrough in the lives of men and women in this service today. Bless your word, Lord. Please bless your word and bless your work here. You want to do something special and spectacular here, Lord. And you are about preparing your people. You are removing away the, the stubble and the baggage and the hindrances, Lord. Get us to where you want us to be. Oh God, there's some of us here today and we've never been broken. We've never been broken. And we think we're the best of the best. But we have got a lot of unmet need in our hearts and we will not own up to it. Oh God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would break our stubborn wills, break our hearts at the foot of the cross. And take us, Lord, into the realm of the blessing of Pentecost and the outpourings of the Holy Ghost in a gracious divine awakening. To this end, 
bless your people. And watch over the remainder of this service, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please be seated.